You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio. Why would you listen to any other Eagles <laughs> podcast? With John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gowden. You are listening to BGN Radio. This is episode 58, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Don't let the intro fool you. I am your host, Michael Kist, filling in for John Stolness today. Is This is a bit of a special episode. We'll explain why in a moment, if you haven't already figured it out from the episode title. We also wanted to do this show to make up for not having BGN Radio on Friday morning for you last week. But what you got instead was a Kist and Solak show in reaction to the Carson Wentz extension. So obviously that and some other outside factors shuffled the schedule a bit. But make sure you listen to the Kist and Solak show episode 98 to get updated if you haven't yet. Introducing the other gentlemen I'll be talking with today. First up, the Supreme Leader of Bleeding Greed Nation. He is Brandon Lee Gowton. Follow him on Twitter forever, eh? at Brandon Gowton, BLG. How you doing, brother? You are flying high <laughs> on the Kistin Selection. That is not no. allowed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had to do it, Ben. You you threw it at the end of last podcast. It confused me for a good second there. I was like, wait, why is the podcast restarting? <laughs> um, so you got me. Good job by you. Uh, yeah, exciting time to be here with you guys. A lot of good deals happening in the world. Obviously, the Carson Wentz one being among them. Yeah. Fox Union deal being another. Yeah. So uh, lots of good stuff out there. Looking forward to talk to you guys about it. Absolutely. And next up. The man who has already spoken up and who hasn't had a bad day in nine years, the prodigy, the squirrel master. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work at thedraftnetwork.com and bleedinggreennation.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Man, every day is a good day. This is one of the last podcasts I'll record in the city of Chicago. We were talking about me moving before the show, but it's exciting stuff. And so, no, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited because... The Eagles have a franchise quarterback through 2024, and that's still good news a full five days later. And we're going to touch on Carson Wentz probably at the end of the show here. But look, this is why we're here. It has been an arduous saga to get us to this point. Finally here, Joe Douglas, the Eagles vice president of player personnel, is taking the general manager job with the New York Jets. And not without some convincing needed, apparently, Adam Schefter had this to say the night of the hiring, quote, Jets just would not take no as an answer from Joe Douglas. He tried to turn them down. Each time he did, they came back at him harder and harder. Jets simply were not going to be denied in their efforts to land the former Eagles vice president of player personnel, unquote. It's a six-year deal for Douglas, who gets full roster control. That means he is in charge of the draft, free agency, all the other acquisitions, he'll be working with head coach Adam Gase trying to build the winner there in New York. And before we talk about who else might be working with him there in terms of those who may follow him, uh, BLG, there's been no really surprises from this. This this is something that had been talked about for a while in NFL circles and in the media. I do find it interesting that it took such a big push from New York to get it done. It also happened shortly after Brian Gain got fired after only 17 months as the Houston Texans general manager. Try and tell me that wasn't in 
in part because of them being jumped by the Eagles for Andre Dillard, and I'll call you a liar. But BLG, what was your reaction to Joe Douglas finally moving on to the New York Jets? Yeah, and we know that Joe Douglas, the the Texans wanted to interview him back in 2017, and the Eagles blocked that because they were still in the playoffs at the time. Um, So I'm sure that didn't help. Uh, or, or didn't hurt, yeah. I should say. Joe Douglas's uh, motivations there. Um, all of a sudden, maybe you know the Jets are trying to go after Joe Douglas, and there's no other GM jobs open. And then you know the Texans enter the fray, and they're like, "Okay, no, we really need to get this done, or else we're going to lose him." And that's such a silly thing, too, right? Like to to quibble over like money, like for a GM, like yeah. you can pay. Like there's no cap space for front office guys. Like you can pay them as much money as you want to. Like to be bargaining over that seems kind of silly to me. NFL teams are really struggling out in these streets, BLG. Yeah, especially like, you know, the Jets, a, me- a major media market team, yeah. you know, you have to feel bad for them. Um, yeah, so they, they got to Douglas. Uh, it's expected. I think it's not great, you know, for the Eagles to be losing him in the sense that they've done well when Joe Douglas has been here and you've had stability. And by all accounts, we know that Joe Douglas is a guy who, at the very least, uh, you know, you can question. It, it's hard to parse exactly right. his roster, you know, which decisions were his and, and what he deserves credit for, what he doesn't deserve credit for. But what we do know is that he was a guy who didn't cause trouble. And that's, you know, there's value in that in a front office because you have guys in dysfunctional front offices and, and power plays and power struggles and everything. So uh, we know that Joe Douglas wasn't one of those guys, and he did seemingly have a good working relationship with Howie Roseman. So there was value in that. And to lose that hurts. I also think that you know the Eagles could potentially be losing some other guys that Douglas brought from mm-hmm. Baltimore to Philly, now could be going to potentially to the Jets. So you lose some more of those front office members, and you already lost Dwayne Joseph, your director of pro scouting, who would by all accounts, had done a pretty good job uh, recently to the Raiders. So you're losing some front office talent. It's not just Douglas. It's kind of, it could be a couple guys. And I just think that's not the most ideal thing. It's not like you're going to see I don't you know, so some huge impact in that regard this year. But something down the line, it's it's just like a priority. I think the Eagles like have to get some more bodies into the front office and kind of refill these holes that are being created here. Yeah, and before we talk about the exodus, which Ben, I'll ask you about next, what was your reaction, Ben, to the Joe Douglas deal? Was there any surprises there for you at all or any specific takeaways that might not be obvious? Uh, yeah, this story about the Jets uh, and, and them being different on Douglas with money and then being able to, to bridge it and like, you know, them getting him to say yes like that like you know like they just basically like kept on upping the offer until the game and offer he couldn't refuse firstly big ups on joe douglas getting the bag joe douglas has done a lot of good things for philly uh helped win a super bowl 2017 2018 season very glad that douglas is getting his really excited for him to come back in 2021 after the jets inevitably fold yet again because adam gase (laughs) is their head coach um but listen go make your money while you can young man like that's the way to do it but if this is all true, I mean, yeah, like if you if you really need to empty the bank to convince a guy who has been waiting for his general manager spot for years to come be your general manager, that either says, number one, your roster and coaching staff blows, number two, your owner blows, or three, both do. And like when you look at the Jets, like that might be the situation they're in where nobody really likes the, the ownership there. And then obviously there's concerns in terms of working with Adam Gase. And so I don't, I'm very, I would love to hear like for Douglas, was it just a matter of like getting what you're worth? Like, I, and and listen, like when you're a general manager, you know, you're, you're, you're a head coach, you're a bad head coach, you get fired. You can go get yourself a head coaching gig in another like three years. You know what I mean? Like you can fight your way back right. into it. It's something Kevin Clark and Robert Mays were talking about on the Ringer NFL show. You're a general manager and you blow it. You got to spend a long time as a senior personnel executive bopping from place to place before you can really get a second shot. 
Like, you know, I, I'm not surprised it took a lot to get Douglas, given the current state of the Jets roster. We Obviously, we know about the money. I wonder if, like, there was a discussion about, like, listen, how many years of leeway do I get in terms of, like, this is a multi-year process, and that's what it's going to take. Because you'd hate to see Douglas go into just an awful spot with bad ownership, bad coaching, and just get burned, even if he does a decent job, when eventually they clean house. And then, like, you know, he's not able to secure another job again. And so... I, it's very fascinating how much effort the Jets had to put in to go get him and kind of what that means for the state of the Jets franchise and for Douglas really picking his spot in terms of where am I going to take this risk and, and make the jump to be one of the 32 and be an NFL general manager. Yeah, and expanding on why Douglas may have been so hesitant, I think that's a great point, Ben, and I want to follow up on that. So why was he hesitant to take the job to begin with? Put simply, this is a risk for him. And I'll quote from Dan Hatman here, a friend of the show. He's going to be on BGN Radio later on this week former NFL scout with the Eagles and Jets, now director of the Scouting Academy. He says in his 2019 NFL general manager candidate study for Inside the Pylon, quote, the NFL is the stingiest in professional sports at giving GMs a second chance, failing to take into account the potential for growth and development that comes with having done the job before. While head coaches like Bill Belichick got the opportunity to learn from mistakes and benefit from years of experience making tough decisions, GMs rarely get a second chance. Some Hall of Fame GMs like Ernie Accorsi and Bill Polian led multiple franchises, but that came off a platform of early success. Hatman continues, recent history may be helpful here as John Dorsey and Dave Gettleman provide owners with recent examples. So, unquote, unless he's able to find some success at his new landing spot, very often these general manager gigs are one strike and you're out type gigs. So you can see why, especially with some of the organizational tumult happening in New York over the recent years that he would want to make sure that the swing that he takes counts and he can succeed or fail on his terms. And he obviously feels like he got control that gives him that opportunity. Now, with that could come some departures on the Eagles side of things because there are several in the front office in Philadelphia that have a long history with Douglas that are probably, quote unquote, his guys and not Howie's guys. For instance, Director of Player Personnel Andy Weidel, Player Personnel Coordinator Casey Weidel, and then there's also Player Personnel Executive TJ McCrate and Director of College Scouting Ian Cunningham. Ben, how worried are you about an exodus, and do you think the Eagles are built to withstand these losses? Like, okay, worried is tough, like, because I think that a lot of good personnel guys will want to work in Philadelphia if jobs open, right? So we start there. Like, like let's say Weidel's gone, other Weidel is gone, let's say McCray is gone, let's say Cunningham is gone, all the big names, like, that are connected to Douglas leave. They have Donahoe, who's, they have Tom Donahoe, who's been a, a senior personnel guy with Howie, for a while. They have Anthony Patch, who's been a senior personnel guy with Howie for a while. They'll remain. So you have a little bit of coherency there. The issue is now like the, the guys that you're going to have to bring in to take care of the personnel side of the house, you have to make sure they're in line with the way that Howie likes to do things. And that's the really big thing here. I think it was it was Jim Nagy, the, 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 the director of the senior bowl, who had a, a tweet when Douglas uh, moved to the Jets, which was basically like, Roseman deserves a lot of credit for the synergy he had with Douglas. Douglas obviously deserves credit as well. But like the Eagles had a bit of a divided house. Like let's remember, Howie Roseman is not the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's the executive right. vice president of football operations. Like they, you know, they have football operations and scouting. And they had Howie, who was the final say, undoubtedly. But Douglas had a lot of autonomy in his side of the house and his building and his fiefdom, right? Like, you know, Douglas had a lot of control over what went on there. Douglas leaves. You have to put a guy in charge of the scouts, in charge of the film aspect of things, and then 
fill out from beneath him, underneath him, his assistants and the scouts, guys who are coherent with Roseman's theory on roster building. Because like one of the main things that's kind of come out here with Douglas being hired, like Rich Semenya of ESPN had a report about this and it's kind of been rumored about like how much of an analytics guy is Douglas now that he's divorced from Roseman, right? Like we haven't, you know, this is our first time seeing him post Roseman, like pre Roseman, Douglas was a football guy. And when they brought him in, it was good because how we needed a football guy. We got Joe Douglas, who was a football guy and everybody knew he was a future GM. Well, now, like how he's still a football guy. He still like cares about team captaincy. Like, you know, you're seeing all this stuff, but how much now has the analytics bled in? And so what I would love to see and what I think makes a lot of sense is you circle in my, in my eyes, TJ McCrate and you circle Andy Weidel and you say, Hmm. if we can keep Weidel, who right now is the director of player personnel, is Douglas's number two. If we can promote him to Douglas's job, that's the most seamless transition. And it gives us our best chance to retain guys like Ian Cunningham, TJ McCray, and also like Casey Weidel, his brother. You know what I mean? Like we have the best chance to like keep things coherent. If Weidel's gone, because Weidel's been Douglas's number two for like years or whatever, right? Right. McCray, who's right now a player personnel executive, is the most interesting name to me. While McCray worked with the Ravens in the early 2000s, he was the director of college scouting in Indy from 2012 to 2016. And everybody knows the name right now. Everybody's heard of Andrew Barry, who was brought in recently this year. The idea is he's being groomed for, for you know, being Howie Roseman's number two. He was in Indianapolis for the five years that McCrate was there. And so if you have Barry in a significant position, if he can keep McCrate, well, then now I think McCrate is an easy transition to Douglas's job under assuming you lose Douglas and you lose Weidel as well. And that gives you the ability to keep a lot of these guys who are of the Douglas mold they're in the douglas school of player scouting and that's the thing is like if they lose everybody that's bad but they can get new guys in the building what worries me isn't guys who know how to watch film it's the coherency of being able to work with roseman who is not a regular general manager right he does not approach things the way that typical general managers do uh, and so the names that i circle weidel is you know the, the the blue lobster he's the big fish if you keep him you pretty much have a chance to keep everybody if not him i think tj mccray is the guy to circle because of the relationship with andrew barry and the final note on andrew barry is everybody highlights him as like a guy to prepare for the departure of Douglas. And he does have playing background and he does have player personnel background, but he has made his hay coming up in the scouting world as an analytics guy. That's what he's known for. That's, that's his approach. Roseman can put him in a prominent position. Him being in the building is not bad, but the Eagles need a king of the film heads. They need that guy unless they're going to restructure the way the, the front office looks, which is a whole different conversation. And so Barry can't step into Douglas's job. He might step into Douglas's title, but he can't step into Douglas's job and do his role. Keeping the, the coherency of how the front office is structured, which has worked very well for the Eagles since 2016 when Roseman was established, and obviously Douglas comes in a year later, uh, to keep the, the the structure and the coherency, the, the, the all the mindset stays the same, the philosophy stays the same. That's what's important. And so the exodus is worrisome for that reason. It's not that... You know, these are the these are the better film watchers than the other film watchers who would be available. The Eagles have a unique front office structure and it has to remain coherent. And so you really need guys who know bind to the system and work well with Roseman's philosophy. So let's expand on that. Let's continue on that thought about who could fill Douglas's spot as executive vice president of player personnel. Now, as you mentioned, Ben, it could be as simple as sliding Barry into that title. Could also be Weidel. Barry has a background in pro scouting analytics and now we'll get cap tutelage from roseman who's one of the best doing it right now let's see if we can get another name out of you blg as a potential replacement and you can answer this in two parts first do you think it will be andrew berry or andy weidel uh, as the likely choice for the eagles with an in-house promotion second 
Who do you believe is another name that they could target from maybe outside the organization or a name that we haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, so I have a couple thoughts about this whole Douglas replacement thing because I think the Eagles could go in a lot of different ways in terms of either internal promotion or not even necessarily really formally hiring anyone to replace Douglas or maybe even just for a year to kind of just keep the structure they have and then see if there's someone they like next year. I think Weidel obviously has to be like the guy you start with just because he was Joe Douglas's second in command seemingly. And so maybe you kind of do a thing where even if it's just for one year and like the goal is to, to keep him on, to have that continuity for this year. And then maybe he gets to leave the Eagles after this year and join the Jets next year if he wants to go follow Douglas. Or mm. you could say to him, the opportunity is better here, obviously, because it's not like he he would have to answer to Douglas at the, this point. He could kind of be his own man in somewhat of more of a way, I think, with the Eagles. So I would definitely keep an eye out for Wydell. Uh, the Barry thing is interesting because I think, you know, he gets painted as analytics guy because he was with the Browns. But, you know, he does have football experience, football guy experience that's on his resume actually it's like a you know one of the the things on linkedin uh football guy i am experience. a football guy yes uh, he's a football guy <laughs> a couple of the other names that are out there that i would keep an eye on based on connections that have uh been talked about or we've known in the past there's three main names okay so we'll start with one that will not have eagles fans feeling great and that is ryan grigson uh we know we we know ryan grigson yeah. used to work with Howie Roseman before he ultimately became general manager of the Colts. Uh, Grigson is he's somewhere out there in the NFL. Seattle. Seattle, okay. Yeah, he's like some yeah, kind of assistant. Yep. Uh, so we'll see if that's a possibility. I think Brian Gain, you know, as you mentioned, Ben, is definitely a name to watch considering he just got fired as a GM and the Eagles interviewed him as a GM candidate in 2015. The Eagles could have interest in him. And as you were talking about the Ravens connection there, Ben, and a name that is out there that I would wonder about is Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network's own. Because well, think back to when, before the Eagles hired Joe Douglas, uh, Jimmy Kemsky reported that the Eagles actually wanted to hire Daniel Jeremiah for that job. Like, that was Howie's guy. Howie wanted him. The impression, I think, was that Lurie or whoever was like, no. Like, you have to get someone who is not that guy. Because I guess, like, the Larry or whoever might have felt like like that was too much of Howie's guy, and he kind of wanted someone, you know, who, not just a yes man, not saying that DJ would be a yes man, but just, you know, that could have been the perception. So I would keep an eye on Daniel Jer- Jeremiah, too. He has those Ravens connections, so maybe that helps the Eagles retain some of those, you know, guys who also have those Ravens connections in the organization. So there are some names out there, and again, I don't even know for sure if they're going to fill the spot, but I'm kind of going to be interested to see who they choose if they do choose someone. Ben, do you have a follow-up on that as somebody from the outside? Maybe it's someone that BLG already mentioned, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, so firstly, BLG stole my like Ryan Grigson dark horse thing, which <laughs> well done. I forget that. Here, so here's here's the fascinating thing. Here's what's really interesting to me. The Eagles have a, have a very successful front office. Now, it's not a very successful front office in the typical way, which means that like we're in uncharted waters. But when you look at like more typical successful long-term successful nfl front offices i think about like the ron wolf tree in green bay right or even like you could bring up the ozzy newsom tree in in baltimore but right. like ron wolf you know he brought up ted thompson who eventually replaced him john schneider john dorsey uh scott McLuhan was uh reggie mckenzie now you have like brian guttenkunst like it's it, this these are all these like very significant personnel names all came from from coming up through this elliot wolf tree right and when you look at like with the Ravens, like the Ravens lost Joe Douglas, who was heir apparent, and then just replaced him with Eric DaCosta, who has also 
been in the, the, the Ravens, you know, nucleus in their system for like 20 years as a scout. Right. And then he replaces Ozzy Newsom when Newsom retires. If you, like the, the, the Eagles brought in Barry this year and Barry immediately gets tagged in the media as like, all right, he's going to become Howie's number two and he can even be a potential future NFL general manager. But that's the thing. If you keep bringing in big names, like let's say you bring in a Daniel Jeremiah and the Eagles continue to be successful in front office things in terms of signing extensions and, and making great trades and being good in free agency and drafting well, which drafting well is even arguable, but drafting decently, Jeremiah is going to get hired as a general manager somewhere. Right? If you continue to bring yeah. in big-name outside guys and immediately install them into top positions, number one, they're going to get hired away. And number two, it's going to be harder to fill out your middle to lower-level jobs because there's not going to feel like there's a place for vertical escalation. So my thing is you asked me about the exodus, and this kind of pops off of that point. My favorite candidate is X person who's in-house. Like Honestly, like not I don't care. But like I don't know a lot about like Anthony Andrew Patch right. or Anthony Patch. You know I don't really know a ton about like how good he is. I don't really know you know how great of a scouter uh, Alan Wolking is and Brandon Brown. Like you know these I'm just like reading names off the Eagles front office chart right now. I don't know how how good they are. I don't know their their coherency and how how well they work with with how well they lead and how well they organize the staff. I don't know this. But if you want to be able to keep stability in the the personnel side of your front office. You have to be able to show, number one, when scouts come in, there's the room for growing. And that's what you have in a guy like Anthony Patch right now. Patch was like, you know, West Coast scout in 2003 or something. And then he was with Howie the whole way, left during the Chip Kelly takeover, and then came back once Howie was back, right? Like you need to show there's the room for vertical growth. There's the room to get better jobs, get new jobs, you know, be able to, to grow up. You need to be able to show that when those people do that, they can get into these top jobs and you will continue to be successful. Otherwise, like, you know, like you don't want your approach to vice president of player personnel and, you know, vice president of football operations to be like your approach to third safety, you know, which has just been like bringing in like, <laughs> like veteran free agents who are cheap. You know what I mean? Like, like obviously it's not a one-to-one comparison, but it's a lot easier to plug that guy in than it is to continue to cycle those guys. You have one year off in the front office. It has massive ramifications for multiple years in terms of like, you know, just one bad contract can really sink you. I would like to see really, really desperately an in-house promotion to be able to continue to cycle guys into the front office, to be able to retain the same scouts, promote guys who you know fit within the philosophy, instead of what has been the model so far since 2017, which is a lot of outside hires. Obviously, you had to reset the front office after the Chip Kelly scorched earth, and I get that. But now let's show some stability. Let's give some, let's do some in-house promotions. Maybe that'll help us protect guys like the Dwayne Josephs, like the the uh, Trey Brown, Trey Burke. I forget what his name was, but he's also gone. Like, let's protect some of these guys. Let's keep our good personnel guys in the building. Let's show that there's room for promotions here. So that way we, we're more consistent with who our bodies are, who's doing our scouting. We never have to relearn this whole process once every two years, once every three years. And we're going to continue to talk about that thread as far as what it could be like for the Eagles trying to bring in people from the outside. Should they keep it in-house and move people up vertically that way? Because that's a great point. We're going to continue on that thread after the break here, here on BGN Radio, episode 58. We'll be right back. And we are back on BGN Radio, episode 58. We're talking about Joe Douglas. I am Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak and Brandon Lee Gowton, all of Bleeding Green Nation. So let's continue on the thought that Ben had before the break, because we always talk things like, is Philadelphia an attractive landing spot for free agents, for example? Well, my question is, and Ben kind of talked about a sort of carrot and stick situation, not unlike the, the Roman political system that created so many great men, is Philadelphia 
an attractive landing spot for aspiring general managers. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for Joe Douglas's spot right now, just as far as filling out the front office roles. So Joe Douglas, for example, had the opportunity to learn from Ozzie Newsom and Phil Savage when it came to evaluating talent, then got a masterclass in salary cap manipulation from Howie Roseman. That has all of the ingredients of a successful general manager, and it was all cultivated. You know, the, the end part of that was cultivated in Philadelphia to kind of fill out his resume. You look at Andrew Barry, who has a similar track, and if the Eagles continue to be successful, I could see him becoming a very hot name soon. So it shouldn't be too difficult for the Eagles to handle these losses, and they're pretty equipped to deal with them to begin with, as this is something that they foresaw. But going back to the question that I posed, is Philadelphia BLG, is Philadelphia an attractive landing spot for aspiring general managers, no matter what the role in which they come in under? I would think so. And I think the Douglas hire certainly helps with that. You know, they can point to, hey, you know, you come here, you bide your time, you do good work, and all of a sudden you're going to get an opportunity in a few years yeah. to be a general manager yourself. And uh, just even looking at the environment that the Eagles have in terms of Lurie being an owner who doesn't strike me as a guy who's not going to pay the money for top-notch yeah. front office guys. I mean, that's, again, kind of what I said earlier about the, the Jets being silly about them not paying <laughs> Douglas potentially. Like, there's no salary cap on front office guys. You can pay them whatever. So I would hope and I would think that Lurie would be willing to pay. So I don't think money would be an object. And I think you look at Howie Roseman, and I think his reputation is repaired because there was a while there where it was kind of like, okay, Howie isn't necessarily working well with people, and you kind of have to you know, worry about him and how that's going to work. And I think Douglas being able to have the success that he did ultimately and go on to the Jets job, it kind of signals that there's stability here. There is a functioning front office. And if Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman can get together, you know, the hope is other executives could get together as well. And then that's not even to mention the quality of the roster, which is right. good. And mm -hmm. the fact that you have a quarterback in place, which is also very good. And the fact that not only is he talented and that's subjective, he's signed through 2024 now. And, you know, if you're a front office guy coming in, you're like, great, you know, the quarterback, the hardest part is figured out. And I think anyone who is, you know, aspiring to rise through the ranks would want to come to Philly. And maybe talking about this point that you guys mentioned earlier about how, you know, you have these DMs who they go to a situation and it doesn't work out. Maybe they kind of left too soon or whatever. Maybe that this is the perfect place for them to kind of repair their image and come back and kind of fix that. So in that sense, uh, you're almost a good spot to kind of get those guys who didn't work out somewhere but could hopefully come to Philly and kind of be good in an assistant role like a Brian Gain or maybe like a Ryan Grigson, if you want to include him. That's something to consider as well. I think the stability and talent is definitely a big selling point. Winning teams get poached. The Eagles are likely to be on the winning side of things, depending, you know, the different degrees of it, but they're going to be on the winning side of things in the foreseeable future. Ben, do you have any follow-up thoughts on that as far as the attractiveness for a front office guy to come to Philadelphia, even if it isn't for a GM role, why he might take a lesser role, seeing that there is a clear ladder there for him? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, like, this this team's going to win football games. And the, you, the, the number one thing you need to be a general manager is to be in a high personnel role while the team wins games. Like that's yep. like that's the formula. It's simple. <laughs> yeah, that's the signal, right? And then there's other there's other stuff, and that's not to say guys who are in bad programs don't get hired up if the league thinks they're good and everything. But like if you see like like I said, I I, I don't think the Eagles have drafted that good over the past few years. But Joe Douglas is the general manager of the Jets now, and obviously he's been a name that's been around general manager circles for a while. But like let's say two years later, Andrew Barry gets hired as general manager. Let's say that happens. Well, then the Eagles mm. will have produced two NFL general manager, general manager hires 
in the last mm. four years based exclusively off of a Super Bowl win in 2017 and hopefully some more deep playoff runs then. In league circles, there'll be more clarity on like what Barry has done and what Douglas has done. But it, it, that the signal of winning is stronger than anything else. As long as you've been close to Roseman and everybody respects Roseman, and as long as the Eagles keep winning under Roseman's formula, I want to bring you into the building just to hear about what Howie's doing behind the scenes. Just like let me know <laughs> yeah. right, what, the, what the secret is, and I'll work off that sauce. And so I absolutely agree. I think it's a really desirable location for – guys who are probably more transient, guys who want it to be a stop on their road to X. And so that's why, yeah, that's that's where I get worried about the nature of the Eagles front office kind of becoming a revolving door. But I absolutely think it's desirable. The question is if that's the approach you want to take. So I think we covered a lot of different angles here with the Joe Douglas hiring and leaving for the New York Jets. So let, let's move on to a point where that, that we talked about on the Kiss and Select show episode 98. Brandon, we haven't gotten your thoughts yet other than the written content, the great written content over at BleedingGreenNation.com. But me and Ben have had our chance to sound off about the Carson Wentz four-year extension that keeps him with the Eagles into 2024. What are your thoughts on the extension? I'm going to assume, I'm going to take a stab at it. I'm going to assume that you're a fan. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I think it's a <laughs> it's a decent deal. It's fine. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, I mean, the timing wasn't great, but uh, that's for another right. thing that people don't really care about. <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, obviously, we weren't posting or doing things on Thursday, and the Eagles decided to clearly, and the move targeted exactly. directly at me, probably exactly <laughs> what they're thinking about to mess with me is, uh, to yeah. announce that news on Thursday night. But yeah, uh, seriously, I think it's, I mean, I've been saying it on BGN Radio with John Stolness all offseason, like, to me, there was no reason not to sign him to an extension as soon as possible. Somebody read the flowchart. Someone read <laughs> the flowchart, and that was really good, Thank by the you. way. But, like, seriously, <laughs> what was the reason to not sign it? Like, I didn't right. see it. And I, the only holdup that I saw was Carson Wentz potentially wanting to wait. And if that's the case, like, you can't really control that. If he doesn't want to sign a deal that's in front of him, I mean, you can't force his hand. Although, I would argue that there had to be a price where it was, you know, lucrative enough where he couldn't pass on it. And I think the Eagles ultimately got there and, you know, they used the fact that, well, maybe, I don't know if they directly did this, but I'm, I'm thinking like they gave him a tempting offer and put it out there knowing that, okay, Carson Wentz, like you've had injury issues. So mm. even though this isn't the best way to maximize your value, if you strictly, you know, want to nickel and dime everything and, and do it, Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. did, obviously, <laughs> and kind of, you know, try to play your leverage out as best as you possibly can. Like Carson Wentz could have done that. He could have bet on himself. He could have waited. But, you know, the, the instant security there has that's valuable. Like to, to just get $128 million put in front of you and for you to accept that, like that's that's great. <laughs> if you're Carson Wentz, like that's a very good thing to do. And if you wait, if you're the Eagles, BLG, you don't have the opportunity with all this cap space that they've created for this year in the 20 millions. You don't have the ability to move some of that cap room to that year and kind of lighten the load for the rest of the contract. It's huge, I, and I, that's another reason to get it done now. You know, you you have some people out here being like, "Well, they didn't need to rush into this. They could have waited." I mean, yeah, they could have, but it would have costed more. Mm. The fact that you can have Carson Wentz at this rate over the next six years now, and Joe Banner did a really good job of talking about this on uh, the Rich Eisen show, where he was talking about basically like. If you look at where this Carson Wentz contract is going to be down the line, uh, he kind of framed it in a way that Carson Wentz is this, in that $66 million fully guaranteed at signing, which Carson Wentz got in this new deal. Joe Banner was talking, well, 
he was already going to make 31 million anyway, guaranteed over these next two years, even if they right, didn't sign into the extension. Like, you know, he was already here. Yeah. So uh, 35 million is really what they gave him additionally. And he was like, to do that and to get this quarterback in place for the next six years for just like that extra $35 million guaranteed money, which is half of what Khalil Mack got is the way he he framed it. Um, like that's that just makes sense. And uh, he said, in the best case scenario, you have a quarterback for six years in today's market for a very reasonable price. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like this, mm. this is a bargain of a deal. Like it might not seem that way when you look at $128 million. And obviously Wentz has to live up to expectations. Like it's not a bargain if he plays horrible. It's not a bargain right. if he gets hurt. But that's part of what this takes like this there's risk and in, in any kind of move and any kind of contract that there is and what you're doing here is you're betting on Carson Wentz and I think that's a key point here that I want to emphasize like Carson Wentz is a guy worth betting on you mm. don't know um, there's so many un, there's so many things that are uncertain nothing is just like as simple as like you give this guy money and you know it's going to work out 100% like that's not how it works how many guys in the NFL how many quarterbacks come into the NFL with that type of talent at that position how yeah. often is that? It's so you're playing the percentages, and that's something we obviously know the Eagles front office likes to do. Decisions are bets. 2K19. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Carson Wentz is a guy who you've seen his upside. I mean, this is what it comes down to for me. Can the Eagles be in position to win a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz? The answer is yes. Like we've seen it. <laughs> we literally saw it happen. Now, Carson Wentz didn't finish the job himself. I get it, and he needs to prove he can do that. But we know for a fact that Carson Wentz can play well enough to where he puts the Eagles in very good position to be able to win the Super Bowl. And that is the yeah. goal. So we know that. We know the upside is there. We also know his character. This isn't a guy who's going to go out and get in trouble or do something stupid. And even though, there were the yes, there were the locker room concerns, and that's something um, Carson Wentz admitted to his credit. And I think even you look at, so you look at that, you look at his willingness to kind of, work on himself not only as a person in that regard but also for him to go into this year like changing his diet and changing some of his routines like that shows you to me like this is a guy that is willing to work on things and I think that's ultimately why the Eagles drafted this guy the Eagles didn't draft Carson Wentz and trade up for him at number two because they thought he was perfect and he had no flaws because that player doesn't exist there's always players that have flaws they saw a guy that had flaws and they said okay I know because of this guy's mental makeup and how he's wired, I am comfortable betting on him to fix those things. And that's what it comes down to, I think, ultimately, not only with drafting him, but the contract extension here. It's like, this is a guy who has some issues, but the upside is worth it. Like, it justifies the risk. And that's absolutely how I feel about it. So to me, it's a pretty good bet. So I'm glad you got the opportunity to sound off on that. I think that's going to do it for this for this show, for BGN Radio Episode 58. Let's import the the ending here of the Kiss and Solak show into this. Let's bend wow. it out, Ben. If you have anything to add to the to the Wentz conversation, uh, you, you can. But overall, I want you to say goodbye to the gentle listeners. No, yeah. The only thing that kept coming to mind when BLG was talking about the Wentz thing was simply like, if you're going to tell me the Eagles shouldn't be spending $26 <laughs> million per year on Carson, you got to tell me who you'd rather have them spend the money on. Because... Right. What's the alternative? The, yeah, the, there's quarterbacks on hit free agency. So that money's not going yeah. to anybody else. But <laughs> thank you as always for listening to the Kissed and Soul Like BGN Radio show special here <laughs> on BGN Radio show. Yeah. Uh, this was nice. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed this, tell us. 
uh, in the iTunes and the ratings with the reviews and the stars. Only five, not four, not six. If you can do six, that'd be cool. But that'd be dope. They would have to add a whole new column on the thing, which is or it's a row actually. They have that a whole new row, which is a lot. But we'd be screwed with all the five star ratings that would knock us down. We so would look so ends. bad. Don't give us six. Yeah, we would look <laughs> so. Only five. Yeah, only five. Just keep us. We don't even want. We don't even want to introduce six. We just want to look good and be five. All right, big inhale. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S O L K. He's been Brandon Lee Gowan. Up, Brandon That's G O W T O N. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K I S T. There are other episodes of this podcast network. We are friends. Goodbye forever. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles fly. Heck yeah. Been a little too nice to y'all. Now I got a up price for y'all. Snake eyes on dice for y'all. Shoulders on ice for y'all. Frozen. A6 all the hate. I won't get involved today. Got lost in the ball and age. I'm flipping the balls and flipping the. B G N.